you do have to have that relationship with your partner, right? And talk about all of these other extra things that you're going to be doing outside of your job because you have signed up for this leadership role that is a part of your passion or what you think your purpose is. Welcome to The 43%. I'm Claudia Reuter. This show forgets about the leaning in or leaning out debate and talks to successful women about their path toward creating a life that includes both family and career. Our name is a nod to the fact that 43% of women do leave the workforce at some point when they have children. We all have our takes on why and what might be done to better support working mothers. In this show though, we explore a wide range of experiences and ideas. That was today's guest, Sharifa Niles Lane. Sharifa is an award-winning digital marketing specialist and the vice president of digital marketing and social media for Eastern Bank, the largest and oldest mutual bank in the United States with more than 10 billion in assets and more than 120 locations. In our conversation, Sharifa talked about the impact that bold social media campaign work can have, the importance of data-driven strategies, and she also shared her thoughts on the importance of alignment to values and how to build trust in yourself as you develop a long-term plan. Sarifa, thank you so much for joining again today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So, you know, kicking off, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself and, you know, giving us a view of what, you know, a typical day is like for you right now and what experiences you're having. Sure. So today I am the vice president of digital marketing and social media at Eastern Bank, the oldest and largest mutual bank in the country. And I like to say that's my day job. But most recently, I have come to the realization that there's such a difference between what we do for work and our titles and leadership, which folks, I think, tend to confuse the two. And so I also want to say that my leadership purpose that I've um, recently come to realize is really to empower others to reach their highest potential. Mm. So um, that is my my job and, and what I do here at the bank, but I do... Um, I also like to consider myself a leader and, and not just here at the bank, but really at home and in my community. So that's what's, that's what's new for me and really does play a role in my day to day. Like what, when you said, what is your day to day like? And so in the day when I'm at work, I, you know, just the natural landscape of digital is ever changing. So Claudia, there is no typical day. Like sometimes one wrong tweet could like eat up eight hours. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, people don't realize like how much actually goes into crafting uh, one, you know, one social media message. So, you know, the day is, is always atypical. We're doing everything that we can to promote the outstanding legacy of the brand, which the DNA of the bank is really rooted in doing what's right and smart, not only from a business perspective, but in a social justice perspective, making sure that all communities thrive, which is very, very meaningful work and neatly bleeds over into my community leadership role. So that also entails mentorship working with the nonprofits whom I sit on advisory boards for the YMCA here, as well as City Air Boston, which is a a national organization. I work on the board of the Boston chapter. And then I go home and Mm -hmm. I'm also a leader at home. So 
I have a husband, I have two kids, I have an eight-year-old and uh, my youngest son just turned two. So there's this huge age gap and that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So my days are always so unpredictable, but definitely enjoyable. So exciting and so interesting. You know, a lot of people talk about the importance of setting an intention and what, you know, what do you want to do? And so you've really come come to the conclusion that it's not what your job is or you you are a leader and you're going to lead in any all aspects of your life, community, work and home. Is that how Absolutely. I heard you? Absolutely. That's and awesome. I think that um the reason that I've made that declaration is because leadership is a sacrifice, right? So there are going to be times where maybe you um you do have to have that relationship with your partner, right? And talk about all of these other extra things that you're going to be doing outside of your job because you have signed up for this leadership role um, that is a part of your passion or what you think your purpose is. So, you know, that's why I, I think that it's really important to for me to declare myself in other in another way. When you made that declaration at home, you know, how is your partner in that? Is he also, you know, a leader or does he, you know, is he looking at this as a partner? Like how, how does that all play out? I will say it's, it wasn't like easy peasy, right? Like my son would say easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Um, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> We're still working through it because sometimes that may mean, you know, for example, actually the way we've made it work is I was recently invited to give a keynote speech um, at a college in New York. And so I made it a family, mm-hmm. right? And, and said, well, why don't you all come along? And then I'm also able to share what I'm, what I'm doing in my leadership role, because then I get to explain to my husband and even my eight-year-old who really understands, well, why, mm-hmm. right? And well, why do they want to hear you speak? So I do think there's moments of, of trying to share that journey. But my, my husband, to answer your question about whether or not he's decided to do that, he's definitely decided to do that in different ways. And he's really become really involved more so um, with, you know, my son is really into basketball. So my husband is like, you know what, I'm going to coach every team that he's on. Like that, that's a huge commitment and undertaking. So he's, you know, traveling to tournaments and not only mentoring my son, right, Mm -hmm. in the coaching capacity, but all of these other children as well. So, you know, we've we've been able to balance that out and and making sure that I can support him in that and he can support me on my journey as well. Yeah. So, I mean, that always seems to be such a theme that just your partner matters and all of this, right. As you're embarking on different adventures and different ideas. So you've got kids in grade school, you've got a little baby, you know, it, are you sleeping at all? Uh, I get probably a solid four hours. Like that's on a good night. <laughs> and you know, um, that doesn't sound that great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, you know, do you have any like routines that you follow to kind of stay sane, you know, given you've got four hours of sleep under your belt and you're doing work, you know, that's, that's challenging in a lot of different areas. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I continually struggle with is finding the time for myself, but I have been carving out at least 30 minutes, three times a week to like, just get on the elliptical or now that the weather's getting nicer to go outside and take a walk. Mm-hmm. But it is very, very, very hard. But I don't know, my body somehow is just like on go mode. So the four hours is like, oh, you're good. <laughs> like, you know, you keep going. But I don't want to sugarcoat it. I mean, 
oftentimes um, those of us that are doing a lot or, you know, working mothers and we're asking, oh, how do you take time for yourself? And some folks may have figured it out. That's one thing that I'm still working on. And I think that that's okay to admit um, that I do think it's important. I do think it's needed. And I'm just trying to figure out still what might work best for me. And it is tough when you have such uh, a younger child, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, I, I it's definitely one of those areas I'm still struggling with, too. Like, I like to think that I go to the gym, but then I realize I just walked by the gym. <laughs> that <laughs> that too. I, <laughs> so, I get it. So, you know, you're in the world of social media. You're obviously in leadership positions in your community. You've got a family. How did you get here? Can you take us back to, you know, did you, are you doing what you always imagined you would do someday? Or, you know, what was the path that brought you to where you are now? It's so funny that you asked that because I've been reflecting on that and finding, trying to find a way to tell that story um, neatly and packaged in a short way. So I'll, I'll try here, but I, no, I didn't always think I'd end up here because who knew, right, that this sort of internet, social media boom, whatever happened. But I grew up in the inner city of Boston, in Dorchester specifically, right? My parents were, came here in the 70s from Trinidad and Tobago from the islands. Mm. And a couple years after they came here, they came in 1972. In 1974, we had the busing crisis in Boston, which many are, are familiar with, right? Which was the, the desegregation of schools. So needless to say, they, you know, they were, they were definitely pretty tough, but that was an interesting time. And then I was born also in the middle of that busing crisis. And um, I just, I give that background because, you know, my mother had me at a fairly, fairly young age and, you know, my father was definitely around, but they were young. So it was really a single parent household. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my family, my grandparents worked really hard and they, you know, they purchased a home, right, which is awesome in this neighborhood. But it was still a pretty tough place to grow up in. And growing up, I just always had this dream of like making it out, right, like many others. And all I wanted to do, this sounds really funny, but we lived in the, an attic apartment on the third floor. And all I ever wanted was like a house with stairs. Oh, like yeah. my dream, my dream, I'd look out my window, I'm like, oh, I have one day I'm going to have a house and it's, we're going to have a second floor. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, you know, I, I went through the motions, right? You go through high school, you go through college. I always had a great support system and, um, you know, like any teenager and young adult went back and forth with what I wanted to do and what schools I wanted to be in. But ultimately, I ended up um, having a passion for entertainment and I ended up in radio, mm-hmm. oddly enough. And it's what I focused on. And I, and I really wanted to be in the entertainment industry. And I landed a job at a really reputable station. And I thought I was going to be doing all these great things. And for anyone who's ever seen The Devil Wears Prada, it's very funny. You know, she goes in, into the office and she's the second assistant. <laughs> and like being the second assistant is like the worst thing ever. And I started oh, no. at the station and I was the second assistant. <laughs> what, what did you have to do? Oh my goodness. I mean, dealing with salespeople, answering phones. I had no idea what I was doing. Definitely not like this luxurious entertainment radio job that I thought I was walking into. Mm-hmm. But you know what? There were some great leaders who took me under their wing, worked my way up. And that's when this the digital boom hit around, I want to say it was around 2007. Mm. And I had an intern and she was on Facebook. And I what is that? 
And she was in one of the early test groups through her college for Facebook. Yeah. And I, I kind of, I fell in love with it and I started studying it and I don't know, just, I'm like, I'm in my twenties. This seems really cool. What if I go find one of those social networks to work for? Mm. And I honestly just took a chance, Claudia. I said, I went to my radio manager and I said, I think I have to quit and I have to focus on finding a social network. They thought I was crazy, but I was working in two weeks. Amazing that so many people would wait and and quit after they got the new job. You were just like, nope, I'm going. <laughs> I had to because I felt like it was so new that I was like, I don't know anything about this. And I feel like I have to dedicate all of my time to trying to, to try to make it work. Oh, interesting. I mean, that was, that's awesome. I mean, that was really brave. You're just like, Whoop, I'm leaving. Yeah. I mean, right. I was, I had new kids. I have no, but like, you know, if anything, I could move in with my mom. Right. So mm-hmm. it was like, all right, I, I have an opportunity to, to find it. And I actually found startup social network in Boston. It was um, founded by a Harvard grad <laughs> by the name of Tom Gerace. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first social networks to figure out the actual, actually the ad revenue model right? Twitter didn't even exist yet. Right. I remember being in meetings and, you know, he's giving us these inspirational speeches like, we're going to beat Facebook. I mean, it was such an amazing place to be. And my role at that social network was really to help brands develop communities. And so what I found there was really my niche. And I found something new, which was to really help brands figure it out. Like, how do we Excel and how do we transform our businesses into digitally savvy businesses? Um, because this is the way, this is the, the, the future, you know, customer, this is all, the, this is all they're going to know. And then from there it was sort of history. I, I then just started working for these really large brands coming in always as the very first employee, right. Of its kind, mm-hmm. building out a strategy, building out a team and then from there, really elevating those brands um, and helping them just figure it out. So, yeah, there was no, again, there was lots of twists and turns. And it was just me following my gut and being courageous. That's awesome. And so there you are. You go from seeing something that you know is going to be bigger than simply, you know, a little yeah. college networking site. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, go on from there to, to get into social media. You went on to work at Liberty Mutual, right? And uh, you know, obviously HMH and now yep. um, Bank. Yep. And so, you know, what are, you know, in that journey and, and each of those positions you were raising, going to the next level and the next level mm-hmm. because, because you're a leader, right? So you're yep. going in and you're building teams and you're doing all this. Do you know time-wise or can you share, you know, but can you share time-wise where family entered into all of this? Yeah. So when I left the startup, I went right to Liberty Mutual Insurance where I built their, the first ever digital center of excellence that they had. Mm -hmm. And I started there in 2009 and a year later I had my first child in 2010. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting, right? The, The company was very supportive, but as a young professional. I was always very nervous. One, I was always very nervous about social media. Mm-hmm. I was, oh, I used to say things like, oh my gosh, what if it tanks? And I remember having a manager that's like, are you kidding me? You are in the best position, but it was still very early on. 
right? And I didn't know which way it was going to go. So there was always this uncertainty in the back of my head. And then as a woman who is on this, you know, this, this career path, and then you add a baby to the mix, there's still all of that doubt. Um, what's going to happen? I'm going to have to leave and I'm going to be out for, you know, this, is everything going to change when I get back? So um, I did have, have all of that fear, but you know, those things didn't happen. I, I came back um, and, and to be honest, I came back energized and with tons of new ideas that really propelled my career at Liberty Mutual. So time, you know, timeline wise, I did, you know, start out young, but then I, I had this family, but I waited. There was this gap. There's a six year gap between my two children, mm-hmm. which was, was purposeful. I did, you know, take a moment to really just focus on career so as I mentioned, I did work at Liberty and then it was on to John Hancock mm-hmm. to work on, you know, a campaign the year after the marathon tragedy. And that was also a once in a lifetime opportunity and something very important mm-hmm. to me as someone who, you know, was raised, born and raised here in Boston and then on to, you know, HMH and others. And um, it wasn't until I got to HMH where naturally there was this sense of, you know, more of a family friendly. It's okay. I I had a lot of mentors at that point, other female mentors who kind of really did say to me, Sharifa, you know, you're at a point where you built these trusted teams and it really, if you want to have a child, it's okay. Right. This isn't going to hurt you. So, you know, my son just turned two. So, and that's that's about as long as I've been at Eastern because I I went straight from maternity leave to Eastern amazing. It's like, we take all these things for granted. That's, you know, for those of us on the other side of the house, right? Oh yeah, they're social and we're all using it. But I don't think a lot of people realize how hard it is for companies that never considered social part of their strategy to think about how it fits in. And is it, you know, something you use to, to inform people about a product? Is it just a communication tool? Is it a branding tool? You know, how do you help companies generally think about how social media can be used? Well, it's sort of, it's all of the above, mm-hmm. right? And depending on, on your brand and who you are and, and the type of business that you're in, right? So if you're a Liberty Mutual, for example, and you're dealing with, you know, it's more um, customer facing or even the bank, right? And you, you have customers and, you know, they may be unhappy and it, and it tends to be a place that they may go. Um, and usually it's the last place. I like to, to also reassure folks of that. Like typically people go when they're really, really frustrated, um, you know, and then they come to social. So it's, is a, it is a branding tool, but it's also a customer service channel, not by choice, right? Like by force. <laughs> it's, that's what your, your social media channels are going to be. But when I first come into organizations, I spend a lot of time just talking to people and understanding the brand and understanding the processes and, and um, what's working and what we could potentially change to help with the digital transformation at, a, at an organization, because it really is a complete culture shift. And, and um, we all know that shifting culture takes time. So, and it's also, to your point, it's also very new and there's also lots of myths and misconceptions. And so once you've sort of set everything up, when it is time to do the branding and such, there's also a level of education. I think that a lot of people have this notion that it's free, right? And, you know, or it's, oh, it's just tweeting or it's just, and there is so much, like I said, that goes into it. Because if you think about it, it's all about human behavior. Right. So there's a little bit of 
psychology that goes into the way that you're going to say things, you know, to your users, and then trying to anticipate all of the things that they might say back to you when you're coming up with social media content. So it, it, it really is extremely time consuming. And I think there is a misconception that it's not or, or that it, it's easy. Right. Because I think you know, people look at social media and, and because some people do use social media lightly and flippantly, right, that they don't realize that for an organization, you know, there's a content calendar and yeah. people have really thought through what they're going to say when. And then you have to have a team that's got the judgment and capability to adjust that calendar based on what's happening, right? So absolutely. And then you're also listening to conversation, right? Constantly. So you're always on, you're listening to the competitive set, you're listening to, um, you know, the political client, like you're listening to every conversation, you're drink constantly drinking from an information fire hose. And is it something that goes, you know, like how, how, you know, so your team and and the expertise you bring in, so you make decisions too on what topics you're willing to engage in and what ones maybe based on the brand you don't engage in, right, too? Absolutely. But, but that's also a collective, right, with, with many others. But yes, to your point, you know, when are we going to engage and when are we not? We're, we're absolutely making those decisions. So you're making those types of decisions. And it's, so for people who are familiar with social media, they're going to understand that. For those who are maybe new to it, I think it's eye-opening for people to realize how much time and thought and, and expertise goes into the work of big companies with social media and marketing. And so could you share a little bit more, you know, about your your work in the community, you know, you just mentioned how you were a keynote speaker, you know, what, what drives you to invest in your community and, and mentorship? I will say that, uh, so two things, when I was growing up, there weren't a lot of me's, right? That I didn't have, I mean, I have, I come from a very strong, successful uh, line of women in my family. So I was fortunate to have that, but outside of that, there weren't a lot of examples um, for me, at least, of African American leaders in Boston specifically, mm-hmm. and so I think that is what drives me to give back. To if I, because I always think about, wow, if I could do it, the little girl looking out of the third floor window. Aww. There's so many others that can, and so when I'm out and spe- even speaking, like I just mentioned, giving that keynote at Manhattanville College, it was in New York. it's so emotional and it's the stuff I get really, that's actually when I get really nervous is because, and I'm nervous because it matters, right? Like I could actually be making an impact (laughs) and changing the lives of um, some of these young men and women who may also connect with my story, who may have a similar background. And so that's really why I, I choose to do it because I do get frustrated with, um, the lack of, of examples that we have, right? And that's just that it is what it is, but I'll, I'll try to, to share my story with as many people as possible. And, and my story is not unique, right? There's so many others that have the same story as I do. But also when I look back to a lot of people that I, I grew up with, and it's just the nature of where I'm from, they may not be alive. They may be um, in jail, um, you know, there, there's just so much. So I want to be able to to be an example and show like, listen, I'm, I'm definitely not perfect. <laughs> I definitely made a lot of mistakes along the way, but I have found a path now and, and you can too. That's awesome. And you, know, you mentioned you had strong role models within your family that obviously 
gave you some modeling to go do what you're doing, right? And to have the confidence to go do what you're doing. Um, as you're talking to people that you're you're mentoring or in a keynote environment, you know, what are some of the things you think that stop people from, you know, what or I guess a better way of putting it is what are what are some of the things that you feel you remember getting or hearing or somehow receiving that helped you get where you are today? I was fortunate enough to not only uh, not only with my family, but I did receive mentorship from many, from men, from women, black, white, Asian. And I do think that a lot of people struggle with how to go about finding mentors. And then there's also this misconception mm-hmm. between like mentorship and sponsorship and, and they don't know how to do it. So one of the takeaways, um, I like to just give people my experience and maybe give them some tips on how to find mentors, um, on the way to approach mentors, on how to work with a mentor. I think they just don't know. So often we tell a lot of young people have one, but we don't really equip them with what comes along with that and how to go about it. And maybe a mentor is only a mentor for a short amount of time, right? And what to expect and also how to be a good mentee. Because a lot of the times there's reverse mentorship and you're learning something from them as well. Um, and so I do have a lot of students or young women that, or men that will say, oh, well, can you be my mentor? And it's like, well, I, what I want to do first is have a conversation with you. And am I the right person for you? But can I be a connector? And so I've, I've been blessed with having many connectors and, and I'm just trying to pass it along. And so you mentioned that there's a difference between mentorship and sponsorship. Can you share more on that? I'm not actually familiar with the idea of sponsorship. Yeah. So sometimes you hear a lot, um, it more so in the working environment, having someone to be a sponsor for you, almost someone to champion your work, right? Internally, right? Like when you're looking for that promotion or, or what have you, and that person isn't always necessarily going to be the person that's mentoring you right? That just may be someone that's maybe you're working closely with that is in a position um, that has the ear of leadership or what have you. That's more of a sponsor. Um, The mentor really is a trusted advisor, right? So Mm -hmm. there is is a difference. And my manager actually, he had me and others go through an exercise of your personal board of directors. And it was a really interesting exercise because what you did was you sort of listed who is my coach, who is my confidant, who is my technical expert. And, it, and it, it's so nice because it really does lay out sort of mentorship, sponsorship, advisory really nicely. And that's also something that I've recently learned and I've been trying to pass on because sometimes I've, I've realized that in, or even in the past what I did, I expected so much from this one person. It's like, okay, they need to help me with everything when really and truly I maybe needed to have two or three or four people. And maybe some of those people were just my friends, Mm. right? And not necessarily, or maybe um, peer mentorship, right? You always try to sort of, a lot of people mentor up where there's also peer mentorship. And, you know, we're all hopefully going to be the next generation of leaders. So how can we help one another? Yeah, that's really helpful to think. And I know in my my experience too, I found sometimes that even people who may not formally think of themselves, or I may not formally think of as a mentor, have in fact been mentors mm-hmm. to me, even if it's only for a brief period of time, you know, just um, someone who's really willing to give thoughtful advice and thoughtful feedback, you know, even if it's just informally can can feel like that mentor. Um, I know there's people in my career that 
probably don't know they helped me that helped me enormously. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, you're, you're, you're key- reaching out in the community as a mentor, you're keynoting at events. So you've kind of got the, the broader view of, of helping people in large groups. And then you've got individual mentorship, um, as well as your family. Well, how much time does individual mentorship take up for you right now? Well, individual mentorship, I mean, it's not taking up a ton of my time. I am strategic, you know, so let's set the expectations up front. Is it that we're going to meet once a quarter? But I really think it depends on what the mentee needs from me. So I actually just recently agreed to mentor three young women that I actually met at the conference. But that's part of my problem. Like, it's like I want to help everybody. <laughs> But what I have, what I have learned is to like, let's make it count, right? So here's your homework. I'm giving you the first thing I'm going to tell you is what do you want? What do you want from me? How can I help you? And let's set up a 30 minute, you know, phone conversation. And then we'll figure out from there, okay, maybe we need to talk in a month. Maybe we need to talk in three months, you know, depending on, on what that is. But I do think that sometimes mentorships blossom into friendships. Mm-hmm. And so that to me, that's, you know, I'm not looking at that as taking up too much of my time or what have you, because now we're just, we're friends, right? Right. Um, right. But in terms of actual mentorship, I am strategic because I can't, you know, be what I do all day. I still have to be a wife and a mom and, and I still have my day job, but I am able to, to find a balance by being able to spread it out and hopefully make those times meaningful. Now, the other side of it, too, is your kids are six years apart. Yeah. You know, what, what it, I mean, my kids are actually 23 months apart. So it's oh all, you know, it's all a blur happening at the same time. <laughs> apart, you know, what, what was the difference in your approach now or any difference between the older and the younger one? Uh, well, first of all, I have two boys and they're like night and day. I hear from so many people, the second one really gets you. But <laughs> my, the first one, he's so reserved and he's so quiet. And I think we were, we were definitely spoiled a little bit. Um, and so the person, we were just not prepared. I think. And <laughs> my, my two-year-old, he is just so full of energy and he thinks he's 10. So oftentimes, <laughs> oftentimes it's just, you're two, you know, um, and he wants to do everything his big brother is doing, but like the amount of, of energy, like we just, we just weren't prepared. I'm learning so much because I'm like, well, wait, you know, your brother never used to jump off the couch. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing, but it was like starting all over. It was, it was literally starting all over. I mean, some things, you know, naturally come back to you, but um, I truly, I'm, I'm learning every day because I'm like, wow, six years have passed. And I honestly don't remember, you know, a lot. <laughs> I did. My second one was, is, you know, and, and they're both, my, I love both my kids. They're both awesome, obviously. But this, my second one was just more willing to try anything at that age yeah. and jumping on things. And there were calls to poison control and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you completely understand. It's very funny. Every person I, I speak to says, says the same exact thing. Yeah. So I, I didn't know what to expect. And I think I w- it was nerve wracking. And people always used to say, I mean, at first it was like, oh my goodness, how do I split all this love? Like, how do I, sp- 
Mm. It just, it naturally comes to you. And also my husband and I, again, partnering, it's like making sure because they're six years apart, you know, we do have to make sure that we're, we are still spending. I think it doesn't matter how, how many years your children apart, right? As parents, we always try to make sure that everyone's getting their quality time. Um, But that is really hard for someone who's almost, you know, at the time turning seven and have had you all to themselves for seven whole years. And then all of a sudden there's this other person, Um, you know, so between work and everything else, there was, you know, we still and I still make an effort to have those special times, whether it's at night or what have you. But so for me, actually, um, we've just entered into second grade, which means homework. (laughs) <laughs> for me <laughs> so like we do our homework like we do we call it our homework because we do that together and like that's how we spend time and we then we end up talking about his day and we talk about school so I have had to find different ways to make sure that we're still bonding. oh that's but that's so great so you're all I was actually just reading that that's one of the best things you can do is sit as have everyone you know if even if you're not helping with the homework if you're all at the same table it kind of just enforces like we're all doing work now. Yes. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Yeah, it's uh, it, I remember feeling really emotional when I had my second. There, this you know, I know you, your love multiplies because you have a second, but then you feel like, oh, is, is there something like that I'm taking away from the first, right? Yeah, and. I remember my doctor saying, don't worry, don't worry. Your older one just has subjects now. <laughs> so, you know, in the, all of this balance and all these things you're, you're doing and you're excelling in so many areas as a leader, as a mom, as a partner, have you had any experiences where your worlds have collided in a way that, you know, e- you know, whether like kids have interrupted calls or any, has anything ever happened that you, know, you watched all these worlds blur at any point? Oh, always. You know, what's really funny is shortly after we had the first child, I was at, I, my husband and I worked for this. We had the same employer. It was really funny. So we had the same employer. We commuted together and then we go to the gym together. <laughs> it was like, our lives where we were just like always doing everything. So at one point we had that, but in terms of the interruptions, husband works from home actually. And so he's definitely, um, he definitely gets the world colliding way more than I do. Um, he's like telling us to be quiet or there's a kid crying. And, you know, even though he's in his office, it's like way too loud. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, my kids are home from school today. Um, so totally right. Like I think we've all, we've all had those times, especially when your child is sick. Like that's also, you know, if your child is sick, but you know, it's still like, okay, my kid is sick, but I can still take this work call, um, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're sleeping or what have you. And, you know, it's something really important. I think that that is just part of the juggling. Right. Um, and something that probably many of us have done often. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's something we, we all experience because it, it, I like to think in, you know, oh, everything's lined up, you know, the kids are in this place. And, you know, my dog goes to daycare over there. And, you know, everybody's got their, their place. But the reality is that, you know, when people get sick, or, you know, you know, I've had people re- be, you know, I've put people on the bus and had them return to me because they threw yes. up on the bus. Yes, you know? yes. <laughs> <laughs> we were all out the door. What happened? <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. Yes, yeah. definitely. So, I mean, that's sort of the messy part, you know, that I think is just 
<laughs> part of being human, right? And having a family. Yeah. Okay, so I'll move to our last question then. Do you mind, um, you know, you, you took us through where you are today and how you got there. You know, if you were going back in time, I, either to, you know, your younger self or to, you know, a younger person you're mentoring or talking to now, what advice would you give them as they're thinking through work, life, and all the different decisions in career? I would give them advice that actually I, uh, a woman by the name of Carol Fulp was advice that she had passed on to myself. And I think she, someone may have, have passed it on to her, but I would tell my younger self not to worry. Don't worry. And I think I even mentioned earlier in the conversation, always being having this nervousness about um, not being able to accomplish things or social media is going to, you know, end or, you know, whatever it is, it's just not to worry. Because while throughout, I've always been so courageous, but it's always come with, with a lot of worry. So it's just making sure that I say, you know what, everything is going to happen the way it's supposed to happen. And everything's going to be okay. That's actually really helpful. There's that whole quote too on how, you know, because worry is just a waste of imagination, right? So yeah, yeah. Well, Sarifa, thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk with me again about this. Um, I really appreciate it. And I, I know your story will be inspiring to others. Thank you so much. That's it for this time, but we'll be back next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring woman. If you could take just a minute to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to hear these stories. The 43% is produced by me, Claudia Reuter, with additional help from the team at Critical Frequency. Our executive producer is Amy Westervelt. Episodes are mixed by Tyler Morissette, and our music is from Martin Wisenberg. You can find The 43% wherever you listen to podcasts, on our website at the43percent.com or at criticalfrequency.org. Thanks again for listening and have an awesome week.